Thank you, Father, for um, your provision in our life. You have been faithful to us. You are faithful to us and you will be faithful to us. That we can count on that. And in a very uncertain world, that kind of certainty is beautiful. God, may we, uh, may we have hearts of gratitude today, not just here this morning, but as we go through our day. May we, may we see where you are at work. And may we be thankful. In the next few minutes as we, uh, as we study your words, God, may your Holy Spirit move and speak, shaping us and calling us deeper into our relationship with you. May we know your, uh, may we know your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are going to be reading from Deuteronomy. We're going way back almost to the beginning. We've been in Isaiah, the prophets, kind of right in between, uh, right, right towards the end of Israel, uh, what we know of them as a country, as a, as a people. Um, but now we're going back to Deuteronomy, the beginning, the foundation, the formation of Israel as a people. And so we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 30, verses 15 through 20. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. It says this, See, I set before you today life, prosperity, death, and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, And if you draw away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is the beginning. Israel has uh, made their way out of Egypt. 
Uh, if you've been in Sunday school, you might remember some stories about how they sent in the spies to check out this new land and they saw fruit in abundance that took two men to carry. You might remember that this was a land they called the land of milk and honey, the abundance, the beauty, the sustenance that they found there was overwhelming. But this was a place where you can build a new country. And so God is leading them in. All the preparation has taken place. There's been the waiting, the wandering. They finally in a place that they're going to enter in. And God is speaking some truth, invitation, some challenge into this newly formed nation. Now, one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, our faith as Christians today, one of the most beautiful parts of it is God's invitation to participate. One of the most beautiful parts of it is that God doesn't just mandate that we do things and then we have to do it. But this thing that we're a part of, it's participatory, that God calls us This would be a good idea for you to do, but it's our choice whether we do it or we don't do it. Invitation, reciprocation. We see this all over the New Testament, and we see it really powerfully and beautifully here. Now, uh, today I'm going to be quoting quite a bit from one specific scholar. His name is Dr. Stephen G. Green. Um, in reading his commentary on this text, I was just, I was really moved and blown away by the things he had to say. So I'm going to share several times from what he wrote here this morning. I think you'll find it interesting too. So Dr. Green starts by talking about this Deuteronomy text this way. He says, this is an interesting tension in the theology of the book of Deuteronomy. Yahweh, or God is singular and sovereign. There is one God. Yet the people are not puppets, but co-creators of their own story. Israel does not have faith in luck or even fate, but that a person's as well as a people's destiny is shaped by the choices within the providence of God. God is revealing and working for the good of his people. What he's saying is God as big and as powerful as God is. And we believe God is big and God is powerful. God has made the decision that in relationship to us, God's creation, there is going to be a relationship. That God is going to invite and there's going to be mutual participation in what is happening here. Really, what God is saying is there's an invitation from God to us into ownership. This is an invitation to self-reflection. But God is also helping us to understand the magnitude of what we are being invited into. God is saying this isn't choosing a Honda or a Toyota for our vehicle. This is a matter of life and death. Much different than the small or annoying decisions that kind of 
pepper and permeate and plague our everyday lives. This decision God is asking Israel to make will have significant ramifications and impact for generations. An aside, kind of a bracket, we saw in our texts through the book of Isaiah times when Israel did and did not choose the way of life. And we saw what happened. God is saying, follow what I show you. Listen to me. Live your life as I'm calling you to live it. And if you do, your life will be filled with beauty and wholeness, perfection. If you don't, you'll experience pain. Now, Dr. Green goes on to give us some more context here. He says this, how are these people to select life? This passage makes it obvious. To keep his commands, decrees, and laws, then you shall live and increase. The focal point of the politics of Yahweh is to love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice, to hold fast to him. Loving God is expressed as obedience to God's will and God's ways. To love God is to practice God's political agenda. Therefore, loving God comes out in loving one's neighbor. Reject my creed, my decrees, God says, and you'll find yourself alienated and crumbling. Accept them, love others, and you'll find your life full of beauty and hope. Now, it's really important. So one of the ways that it's easy to read the Old Testament is as a threat. God is saying, you will do this or else, (laughs) which is not the way that God works. Much like when we tell our kid, don't touch the stove because that's not going to end well for you. The child has the opportunity to, if they wanted to, still touch the stove and to accept outcome of that decision. God and God's relationship to us is not saying, if you are good, I will love you. If you are bad, I will destroy you. God is saying, you were created a certain way and for a certain thing. I know you better than you know yourself. I know how you will be whole. I know how you will be happy. I know how you will experience love and it will be by living this way. It's a warning, an invitation. Another quote from Dr. Green. I told you there was quite a few. I promise it's worth it. He goes on to write this. A constant peril and danger for Israel is to allow something else to become the center of their affection and their loyalty. We can pause there. We'll continue a second. We can pause there and take a minute and think about ourselves, and it's not just an Israel thing, is it? How easy it is for you and for me to allow something else to be the center of our loyalty and our affection. 
The challenge of worshiping other gods, Dr. Green says, is not that they will do something to people. They do not exist. The challenge is that they bring with their worship or their veneration a bundle of convictions, of values, and the very goal of existence itself. To worship other gods is to enter into a different story and to practice a different set of policies. The foreign god shapes perception of people and their understanding of life's purpose. They subsist by conforming people to an alien story opposed to the story of Yahweh and his people. Another way to say it is, the problem with false gods is that we become what we worship. We become what we love. All gods, all things that we love. And we, we talk about Israel, and we talk about their false gods, and it's easy to say, well, we don't worship false gods. We don't have a little god sitting on our dresser that we worship each morning. But really, we could say, false gods are anything that ask us to give them their love and our devotion. What commands our um, dedication? What demands our um, interest or our um, um, affection? What wants us to stop? Rephrase that. What wants us to never stop thinking about it? Things that we do, things that we participate in, practices, people, businesses, you know, all the things that we do, they have a way that we participate in them. Think about it in terms of worship. We come here and we do some things really intentionally. We show up, we read some scripture to welcome our hearts into time of worship. We sing worship songs to God, our hearts expressing our worship to God. We take a moment, we pause, we read some more scripture and we think about who God is. We sing some more, we pray, we read scripture and study it together, and then we take the Eucharist together. We have a ritual, we have a habit, and we believe, as people, we say this each week, the things we do shape us into who we are going to become. Want to become a more loving person? Practice things that will make you more loving. Want to become a more hateful person? Practice things that will help you become more hateful. We see this uh, specifically in Israel as they went and worshipped other gods. You found their worship practices changing. They invited um, outside influences in. They began to do those things and they found themselves changed. And that happens with us too. One of the most interesting things I read this week was this. That in a given year, the average American, you, me, us, will consume 11 hours of media a day. News, social media, uh, text message conversations with friends or family. 11 hours of outside influences shaping how we see and behave and partner in our world. 
Now, and I'm not reading this to you for shame purposes. We don't do that here, remember? I'm just making a a comparison, helping us see the difference. So 11 hours a day on media is every year 4,015 hours of outside influences shaping and moving and growing in our heart. Now, they, uh, they talked about evangelical Christians and their average church attendance in a year. 17% of the population attended every weekend. More, more usual or more common was about one to two weeks a month. So we are being shaped 4,000 hours by media and news, uh, talk radio, pundits, uh, social media. The way social media kind of manipulates how you see its algorithm just reinforces the things you already believe, makes you more afraid, more vulnerable to anger of other people. 4,000 hours a year of that. And for what we do when we come together, about 50 to 100 hours a year of what we do. Now, again, no shame. This is not me saying, oh, you should do more things to try to make up the difference between 50 hours and 4,000 hours. That's not the point. The point that I hope you receive from this is to say, oh, I can see how the things that I'm doing are shaping and impacting me in a way that I may not be expecting. It's easy to say, I go to church each week, so I'm going to be good. My heart's going to be centered on Jesus. I'm going to be a holy person. And without thinking about it, those other 4,000 hours kind of in the background of our mind shape us, tweak us and make us uh, into something we don't realize we're becoming. Things that shape how we view other people, how we view consumption, how we view um, those who look and talk and act and think differently than us. We become what we do. One theologian says, we become what we love. The things we repeat over and over and over and over again. And I, we, really love the things that we consume in those 4,000 hours a year. We like the way they make us feel. We like the way they make us um, burn with righteous indignation against whatever thing it is that we're against that day. The things we love, God is warning Israel, and God is warning you and me, the things we love will shape us for good or for ill. One last quote. Without Israel's fidelity, she will fall into corruption and decay. And so it is for the church in the 21st century. Curse and death are at hand. The church, like Israel, must choose life. 
the purpose and the way of God. The choice is not once and for all, but every generation is responsible for choosing to renew the covenant and the politics of God. Like Israel, the church is always under the threat to forget the story of grace and to enter into a counterfeit narrative. Stories of other gods and values and with other purposes and practices. These gods will forget God's people, will, f- will forge God's people into something foreign and unfamiliar. Alien gods will attempt to write the narrative of the church as a detestable story full of poison and death. This toxin will have its way with people and it will contaminate and destroy, curse, and death will be the end of such a story, not blessing and life. More than ever, and I've been really convicted about this myself, and I think it's as a pastor something to invite us all into. More than ever, it's easier for us to come to church and to profess things with our mouth, and then to leave and go out and to live a completely different way with our lives. To say we believe in love and redemption and reconciliation, and then to live a life of exclusion, um, rejection, violence against other people. And here's the thing. It's really easy to do without noticing. It's really easy for it to have taken root in our heart and for us to not even have seen it. We're not doing it on purpose. We're not trying to be unkind. But we've been shaped without even realizing it. Israel is being given a reminder, a reminder that is for you and for me as well which is the reminder, what do you love? How are you using your time? What influences are you allowing to shape your imagination? We must make a conscious choice. Who or what will we serve? Because here's the thing. To not choose is to just continue to be shaped by the influences around us. A non-choice is a choice. To choose to be shaped in the way of love and forgiveness and reconciliation takes a conscious and deliberate choice and conscious and deliberate changes. Will we be a people who consume media that make us angry at other people? Will we be a people who uh, choose to uh, uh, consume media that makes us um, more hostile and aggressive, who ask us to put people into different camps and to see them and us, and no way can those two overlap? We are being shaped into something And the outcome of that something is not going to bring us life. 
So the question is, what then do we do? And we're going to just touch on a few things. I won't be able to go deep into all of them, obviously. But the question we have to start asking ourselves is, how are we using our time and our energy? Are we creating time for silence in our life when we're away from people telling us what to think and what to do? How often are we away from TV and radio and podcasts and music and movies and TV? I am not good at silence, you guys. I'm not. I have had to intentionally make that part of my life. Do we read scripture other than Sunday morning when we're here together? I'm not asking you to read 30 minutes every day each week. But is it a part of your life at all? Do you read the Psalms? Do you read the stories of Jesus? Are you generous? Yes, part of that is we talk about generosity as giving financially to the church. Where our money goes, there our heart goes also. We believe that to be true. But generosity is more than that. Are you generous with your political enemy? I have a really hard time with that. Are you generous with your coworker who is very different than you? That drives you nuts and you just would assume never see them again as talk to them. Are you generous and forgiving with them? Do you practice confession? Do you have somebody in your life that you can be honest with? I, uh, I feel this way, or I did this thing, and I'm not very pleased with myself. But I need to share that because I don't want to keep that bottled up in here. Are you giving your time in service? Instead of consuming, we're taught to consume. We're taught we are what we do. We are what we consume. You want to be great on a Rolex or a Lexus. If you want to be happy, spend more time consuming social media and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and whatever the thing is that you're on. But the opposite of that, are you giving your time to other people? Meeting them in the real world. Kicking plates and bulls over in the back row. (laughs) You're the best, Mary. And here's the thing that I think we all, I, okay, so me, I struggle with. And my guess, if I struggle with this, then my guess is all of you struggle with. When we talk about theology, we immediately think we have to start reading like St. Thomas Aquinas or Augustine. We've got to read like all these old, difficult books. But there's a lot of really approachable and healthy Christian theological books that we can read. And this is why it matters. Because we're being told every day who God is. Our politicians tell us who God is. Our entertainment tells us who God is. Uh, Our friendships tell us who God is. And it's really important for us to, even if we read, and this is one of the ways I recommend doing it, if you buy a book, read one paragraph every day. It's not much, five minutes. Slow read a book over the course of an entire year. But have that coming into your mind. Have yourself starting to think about it. 
it'll start popping up as you drive on your way to work or as you're going on a run. But just putting more of these moments of healthy, Christ-centered, divine thoughts in your life will shape and form your heart. But the most important part is this. We've talked about legalism, and you can do all those things for the totally wrong reason. You can totally lose yourself in doing the act instead of doing uh, the real work. And the real work is this, a heart of humility. If you think that you have it all, if you think you have it all together, if you think you can control the outcome, it's not going to end well for you or anybody else around you. But a recognition that none of us have it all together, that I need grace and I need to grow, that there are blind spots in my life and there are blind spots in your life, that I am influenced by people and you are influenced by people. If we can all recognize that and from there say, what do I want to be formed into? then we can all find our way to something more beautiful and more healthy because it's from a place of humility, and this is it, I promise. This is from the place of humility that the Holy Spirit can work. It's a place of being humble. That's the soil of repentance. That's the soil of transformation. That's how the Holy Spirit can do Holy Spirit's most beautiful work. So in a minute, we're going to practice the thing we practice each week. And we do it because we are being shaped into that what we do and we love. 